For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. New research published in the journal Frontiers in Veterinary Science shows that elephants share a strange, unexplainable quirk that all people are familiar with. Yawns are contagious. Specifically, elephants can catch yawns from people. Scientists don't really know what causes contagious yawning, but most of us have experienced it. You're sitting around, staring at a friend or family member, you see them yawn, and then, you know, suddenly and explicably, you yawn too. Some cross-species yawning has been observed in dogs and chimps. Who wouldn't like to see that? But this is the first study that shows elephants can catch yawns from humans. The study draws on observations and experiments with captive elephants at zoos and rescue facilities. In one case, Zoe Rossman, a researcher from the University of New Mexico, studied 10 African elephants at the Kinshasa Elephant Park in South Africa, and over the course of 13 consecutive nights, observed elephants catching yawns from their handlers, as well as nine instances of elephants catching yawns from each other. Although yawning is common among many animals, the phenomenon of contagious yawning seems to only happen in intelligent and social animals. In this study, a sense of connectedness between elephants and their regular handlers was key to the cross-species yawn spreading. As a note here, if somebody doesn't catch a yawn in your vehicle, you kind of know that, you know, they're not intelligent or social. And for the record, I don't hang out with many elephants, but I recently shacked up with another smart social animal, my lab pup, Snort. 
I've been focused on training her for our first waterfowl season together, but maybe I should pay more attention to if she's catching my yawns. Or maybe I should do some experimentation of my own to see if I can catch yawns from her. On those mornings when I just can't get a duck in the decoy spread, which, you know, that's probably not going to happen, but it'd be pretty humiliating to look over and catch her yawns of boredom. In case you haven't figured it out, I thought it'd be great to start episode 75 from the cute desk. He's so fluffy, I'm gonna die! This week, we've got bird brains, ghost frogs, and Louisiana. But first, I'm gonna tell you about my week. And my week, as you know, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. If you feel like supporting this podcast and sneaking some gear into your rig, kitchen, or boat for hunting season, go to your local independent steel dealer and tell them Cal sent you. Then, you know, explain who Cal is and tell them to listen to the podcast. Then everyone wins. All right, we got too much to talk about this week, so I'm going to make some of this real quick. I did make some promises to touch on cottonmouth snakes as I posted a picture on the old Cal 406 Instagram account that featured some young bayou living kids holding up a large dead cottonmouth. This was outside of Violet, Louisiana, not too far from New Orleans. Here's a short version. A camp full of kids and dogs, kids flipped over a boat, and the cottonmouth underneath was quickly sentenced to death due to the possibility of the dogs and kids getting bitten during play. I was uh, chastened, you could say, by some folks as to the propagation of the pervasive snake-killing mentality that some people have. All snakes are here for a reason. All snakes, just like all animals, want to live. And sometimes we determine that cohabitation in tight quarters not going to work out. Don't kill snakes, just kill snakes. There are ways to safely remove them, safe for you and the snake. I promise I'll circle back to this at a later date with some fun cottonmouth facts, but I ran out of time this week. Next fun fact. I managed to get a kind of uh, bayou trifecta while I was down there. A hog, nutria, and a gallinule. The hog and nutria, through their natural rooting and undermining of marsh plants, actually exacerbate the land loss situation in Louisiana. 100 acres of land every 60 minutes recedes underwater. Wave action, tide action, storm surges have the usual erosion effects on land, but when that water is channeled through the paths of a hog snout by their rooting or a nutrious tunnel, the effects are greatly exacerbated. Think about like throwing a bucket of water on land versus hitting it with a garden hose. To be clear, I found all of this stuff interesting, but you know, I just wanted to eat them. I don't want to give you the impression I was single-handedly solving an erosion by invasive species problem. Uh, Nutria, which is a big rat, giant Central American muskrat, pretty darn cute, by the way, is delicious. I'll have to work up a recipe for the Meat Eater website. Very, very good. I'll come back more on a future episode of Louisiana. I also shot a big, stinky boar. That's a male pig which is something you'll see uh, hog hunters turn their human snouts up at on occasion. But it was, of course, delicious. I even tried out a pair of steel shears on the hide, and it worked pretty darn good. I'll uh, put up a picture on that on the Instagram account. We turned that hog, or part of it, into boudin sausage, which is a favorite of mine. Special thanks to Jared Serigne and his buddy Francois for the help on the boudin. Gallon Yule. Okay, Gallinule is a part of the Aralidae family, 
what we call rails, like snipes. Coots a rail. Coots get lumped in with waterfowl for some reason, probably because their legs have some webbing to them. A gallinule, however, has like a stork-like leg, long fingers and uh, sharp nails. Also delicious. I would say it is like a bird version of a cottontail rabbit. 15 a day is the limit in Louisiana, and they are delicious. Another fun fact for you, these Cajun fellows I was hanging out with say it is a Cajun pheasant hunt. When you hunt gallinule, Francois says bring plenty shells. More on this later, on to the news. Big news coming out of the beaver department. That's right. We're such fans of the large industrious rodent that we dedicate an entire department to keeping up with breaking beaver news. It seems that, for folks in Scotland, the hottest new wildlife safari, not the hunting kind of safari, but the looking and photographing kind, isn't a trip to Africa for the usual suspects or some other opportunity to see charismatic megafauna, but it's to go to central Scotland to where folks hope to catch a glimpse of a critter that is quite familiar to many Americans, the beaver. In this case, it's the Eurasian beaver, which appears similar to our North American beaver, but has some important differences and are not genetically compatible, which means the two species cannot successfully reproduce and create hybrids. Perthshire Wildlife runs beaver safaris from April to October in central Scotland, and one of only three places in the United Kingdom where the animals can be seen in the wild, along what's billed as, quote, the beaver trail. Why so much excitement over an animal that American hunters, anglers, and other outdoor folks encounter fairly regularly, and that a lot of people consider a pain in the butt because of the animal's ability to flood fields and roads and block culverts and otherwise quickly make big changes to wherever they decide to settle down and raise kits? The reason that nature-loving folks in Scotland are stoked about the chance to see beaver is because the animals were hunted to extinction over 400 years ago. In fact, relentless hunting for the fur and castor, which is the secretion of their scent glands, once thought to have medicinal qualities among many other uses, drove beavers to extinction in many European countries hundreds of years ago, with only small pockets surviving in a few of the wilder regions of the continent. Of course, the fact that Europe's beavers were wiped out long ago would have major impacts on the history, development, and politics of North America and the United States. From the earliest days of white settlement in the New World, this remarkable rodent was at the center of colonists' trade and relationships with Native Americans, inadvertently escalating intertribal warfare as different groups battled for access to prime beaver country to satisfy the newcomer's insatiable appetite for the furs. As hats of felt made from beaver became all the rage in Europe, platoons of trappers from early French-Canadian voyageurs to the famous mountain men of the Rockies were usually the first white men to push into unexplored areas of the continent. Fortunes were made, battles were fought, and the beaver was the source of some of the coolest stories and legends in our history. Imagine if it hadn't been for Europeans' merciless treatment of their own beavers, we'd have no Coulter's Run, no Hugh Glass, and I shudder to think, no Jeremiah Johnson. Beavers were eventually trapped out of many areas in North America, but never to the extent they were in Europe. And as anyone who has spent time along virtually any waterway in the U.S. and Canada, the animals have long been recovered here. The Meat Eater crew would like to tell the folks over in Europe, keep up the good work on reintroduction because we are huge fans of the beaver. I'm sure a beaver safari 
is kind of fun. But just wait until you're hunting ducks in flooded beaver ponds. Or better yet, when you have enough of the critters, you can take after our own Stephen Ranella, who takes beaver trapping very seriously. Check out the beaver episode of Meteor Hunts on YouTube, and just wait until you see what we make out of those incredible hides. As for me, beaver ham confit spread on a crusty baguette is a real treat. And I'd bet if more Frenchmen had the chance to throw a lip over that delicacy, they'd end up putting beavers in every stream in the country. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Moving on to the trespassing desk. 
This story is out of Alaska, and it just may prove that a bear will do anything for a meal. A few weeks ago, we brought you the story of Papillon, the 368-pound, four-year-old brown bear who has become well-known across Europe after multiple escapes from his enclosure at the Alpine Animal Center in Italy. Well, in Alaska, the bears aren't famous for breaking out. They're in the news for breaking in. Last week, a 600-pound male brown bear broke into the alpaca enclosure at the Alaska Zoo by tunneling under the zoo's perimeter fence and breaking through another cedar split rail fence. Inside, the bear found two alpacas, Fuzzy Charlie Kozak and Caesar, who have entertained visitors for over a decade. Caesar, a fully white male with an especially fluffy appearance, had been at the zoo for 15 years. This would be his last day. Upon entering the enclosure, the bear killed Caesar. Fuzzy Charlie was reportedly left unhurt, but turned up wide-eyed and skittish. In a typical prison situation, I'm sure Fuzzy Charlie would be questioned thoroughly. But, you know, this is a zoo located in South Anchorage, among a residential area that borders Chugach State Park. Bear sightings are common, but state officials have never seen anything like this attack. Again, inside job looking at Fuzzy Charlie. Alaska Fish and Game had already targeted the bear for removal after it started toppling bear-resistant dumpsters in nearby neighborhoods the week prior, but the death of Caesar spurred them to act. They killed the bear a few nights later on a stakeout with Alaska wildlife troopers near some dumpsters just outside the zoo fence. This is a quote from Patrick Lampy, the director of the Alaska Zoo. Quote, We are deeply saddened by this tragic loss of both a wild bear and Caesar the alpaca. We care deeply about all animals and feel saddened by the deaths on both sides of this situation. We take this as a reminder that our city of Anchorage is indeed bear country. Wild bears are still active, gathering food and resources before their winter sleep. We ask the public to stay vigilant with bear safety protocols in neighborhoods by securing trash and other attractants. How many times have we heard that story? Officials told the Anchorage Daily News that the zoo plans to get another alpaca and that they reinforced and repaired the fencing. The hopes that this extremely rare occurrence won't be a problem going forward. This one really makes you think of a quote from another breakout story. The funny thing is, on the outside, I was an honest man, straight as an arrow. I had to come to prison to be a crook. If you can't name that one, It's Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption. Rest in peace, Caesar. Long live Fuzzy Charlie. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Now, onto the bird brain desk, where we apparently have to rethink how we use the term. We normally reserve it for all you mugs that are annoyingly dense, but thanks to a new discovery, we might have to give actual birds a bit more credit. A study published recently seems to show for the first time that crows possess some degree of subjective experience and sensory consciousness. Why is this a big deal? Well, experts had always assumed that primary or sensory consciousness is only possessed by humans and a few of our primate cousins. Thanks to scientists at the University of Tübingen in Germany, there is direct evidence that, as crazy as it sounds, these corvids are capable of conscious perception. The study centered around the recording of behavior and brain activity at the same time determine if these birds are aware of their own internal experience and external existence. 
Another recent study at the University of Auckland in New Zealand showed that New Caledonian crows actually make tools with a sophistication that arguably surpasses any other animal. There were also signs that the crows were learning from each other and advancing their own forms of technology. Those facts would be amazing on their own, but they pale in comparison to the idea of a conscious crow. So, how did researchers in Germany figure it out? Here's the breakdown. 1. They trained two carrion crows, Corvus coronae, to move their heads in response to seeing different colored marks on a screen while recording brain activity using electrodes implanted in the crows' brains. 2. Some colors were vibrant and clear to see, and the crows picked up on them. But others were so faint and fleeting, they skirted the edge of perception. For the faint stimulus, the crows sometimes indicated that they had seen it, but in other cases, they reported there was no stimulus. 3. By looking at the brain activity during this, the researchers were able to show that the nerve cells of the crows' brains were being influenced by subjective experience in reporting their answers because they were consciously perceiving sensory input from the stimulus. Their brains were not just reacting to the brightness of the color by instinct, but responding to their own internal assessment. Quote, Nerve cells that represent visual input without subjective components are expected to respond in the same way to a visual stimulus of constant intensity. Professor Andreas Nieder, a neurobiologist at the University of Tübingen, said in a statement, Our results, however, conclusively show that nerve cells at higher processing levels of the crow's brain are influenced by subjective experience or, more precisely, produce subjective experiences. For all of you folks that stare at crows and get that feeling that you're being judged, well, it turns out you're right. Moving on to our National Park desk, kind of. The Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in England is having a bit of a row with a band of swearing parrots harassing onlookers. Lincolnshire, one of the UK's largest animal sanctuaries, houses everything from Bengal tigers to ring-tailed lemurs to some 1,500 parrots who have become quite the attraction recently. A viral video earlier this year of Lincolnshire resident Chico the Parrot singing Beyonce's If I Were a Boy drove a ton of visitors to the park. But those tourists probably weren't expecting to be cussed out by Chico's newest buddies. A group of five African gray parrots were newly adopted by the park in August and placed in quarantine in the same room to monitor them for any illnesses. During their stay in this separate enclosure, staff noticed that these birds liked to curse. It's not reported exactly what foul language they used, but it was enough to make workers laugh pretty hard. That laughing apparently spurred on the parrots. As the cursing increased, the park CEO, Steve Nichols, called the parrots an old working men's club. Nichols said, just by coincidence, we took in five in the same week. Because they were all quarantined together, it meant that one room was just full of swearing birds. The more they swear, the more you usually laugh, which then triggers them to swear again, just like a toddler. Despite the language, the birds were moved into a public display and, you guessed it, they immediately started swearing at guests. Seems to me that a parrot exhibit where I can hear a Beyonce tune and a few choice insults would be pretty darn entertaining. Worth the drive, you could say. But Lincolnshire staff eventually did the right thing and moved the birds to an enclosure far away from the ears of the many impressionable little kids who visit. Which, gosh, if you think about it, the excuse of mom, I'm just talking like a parrot, would probably work. 
Parrots themselves are highly intelligent. Another African Grey named Alex in Cambridge, Mass., was once known as one of the most famous parrots in history for pioneering new avenues in avian smarts. Before passing away in 2007, at the ripe old age of 31, Alex had more than 100 vocal labels for different objects, actions, and colors, and could identify certain objects by their particular material. Alex exhibited math skills that were considered advanced in animal intelligence, and was learning to read the sounds of various letters, and had a concept of phonemes, the sounds that make up words. If only Alex was around to straighten out the foul-mouthed parrots of Lincolnshire, maybe they wouldn't have had to have been moved. Everyone needs a good interpreter, kids. <laughs> now, onto the smoking trees desk, it's seldom visited, where I've just discovered a new way to study the forest. This is thanks to Angelica Patterson, a PhD student at Columbia University's Department of Earth and Environmental Science, who is using a shotgun to blast high up branches, retrieving them for research on how trees adapt and move. I can't climb trees. Building scaffolding is expensive, and using a slingshot requires a lot of skill. A shotgun is an efficient, cheap, and effective way to collect the high up leaves that have full exposure to the sun, she told The Guardian. Patterson works in New York's Black Rock State Forest, where extensive data has been collected since the 1930s that shows exactly how tree distribution has changed over the decades. Among many things, Patterson is working in Black Rock to investigate how environments that are extreme to certain species can influence physiology of the tree. She spent the eight years studying how hundreds of leaves from 22 species function differently and likens it to working out which tree has the engine of a Toyota and which has the engine of a Ferrari. For some reasons, this subject really makes me want to nerd out, and Patterson has all the data I need to go real deep. She says that over the past 90 years, there's been a shift in forest composition. Three species have left the region or become locally extinct, and 11 have migrated in naturally from the south or been introduced. Ultimately, tree migration is incredibly complex, but it's also incredibly important. Patterson says that when compositions of these forests shift, this affects their ability to become a source rather than a sink of carbon dioxide, which perpetuates climate change. This could really help forest management in the future, which is essential to managing wildlife and wild places in the east. So. Angelica, if you're listening, I know someone that can get you a discount on a Weatherby shotgun and federal premium ammunition. We need to up your game so you can target those trophy branches. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks a bunch for listening. As per usual, if you need to set me straight, write into ASKCAL at themeateater.com. That's askcal at themeateater.com. More importantly, I want to know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Let me know what's happening. And I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules 
from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.